I'm reading from the book of 1 Samuel chapter 13. And as is the narrative, we are in stride. So I'm, I'm going to the middle of it. I'll catch you up in a moment and I'll offer you the reply here in verse 12. This is the reply. Therefore, said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering, to which Samuel said back to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. And I preach today the commandment or the command of you. The command of you. Amen. And we know that the Lord is in this house. And prayers and praise have been offered up, singing. And we ask the Lord to add a blessing to his already anointed and established word. And all the people said amen. Amen. And turn to someone and smile real loud at them, if you will. Just smile at somebody so they know that you are happy about being next to them. Thank you. Hebrew mind, most Jewish scholars of old, many of which have poured over their history for some 4,000 years now. It is said of Israel's first king, King Saul, that he had at least 11 major failures. We will not divulge them all, only one of significance. Saul began so well, he had once prophesied with the school of the prophets. He had been a worshiper. But it didn't take long when he digressed. The scripture will spare him no embarrassment or disclosure. Samuel, the prophet, had once called Saul the people's king. Perhaps Samuel's description was an edict uncloaked before them, though they would not have known. Our text is a troubling one. The prophet has confronted the king to his face. It is a confrontation that did not bode well. You can feel the mood in Gilgal change. Saul was lifted up in his own eyes. His heart has become hardened to the commandment of the Lord and to the voice of the prophet. How often did they go hand in hand? But he had yet to be discovered as such. He is not known yet. His heart condition has not yet been exposed until he is confronted with the matter of obedience The demand of obedience is a curious thing. 
It often pulls back the curtain on what really exists behind our expressions and guise. But at some point, the absence of it or compliance of it is eventually uncovered. Everyone is found out sooner or later. Saul is about to be revealed for the man he really is. The darkness of his heart spills out when pressed against this demand of submission. As in all cases, true feelings rise to the surface. True colors, though often suppressed, subdued, muffled in dual tones, suddenly appear. When a choice of obedience is demanded, Saul was told to wait for Samuel. Samuel was going to come and offer a sacrifice to God. That was his right that was his duty, his calling. And Saul was instructed to wake and not make a move. It's an interesting thought that a sacrifice was to be made before the battle began, but this is the way of God. Before the battle, there must be a sacrifice made. Plant that in your heart. To put the scene into context, 1 Samuel 13 it's a moment in time when Saul and the armies of Israel are in preparation for war against the Philistines. It should have been a very easy thing. Think of this now. God is on their side. The famed prophet Samuel is on his way. An altar has been built and the arm of the Lord is their authority in waiting. They cannot lose. All they need to do is obey. Wait and listen it seems so simple, so uncluttered and plain. Even still, Israel trembles in fear at the sight of their enemies. The host of the Philistines have gathered in such large numbers. While Israel considers her own strength, she has turned her attention inward. She's failing to look upward. And looking inward always leads to doubt. And doubt in turn leads to fear and Fear leads on to failure. It's been the cycle of a thousand scenes over. Inward, then doubt, fear, and then finally failure. Israel's men are being led by an impetuous man. Saul has instilled a headiness in them, and they are who they are because of what their leader has become. They have all assumed, like all armies, the position and disposition of their leader. He's impatient. He's defiant. King Saul wants control because... That's what kings do. The scepter has felt good in his hand. It has weight. And its metaphoric mass has driven him to bypass the instructions of the prophet. Perhaps Saul believes that since he holds a scepter, then he can also hold the sacrifice. Oh, the perils of the prideful path. An old poet an American history once wrote of us. He said, America is a place where every man is a king in his own house, a ruler of his own domain. Maybe that's what's wrong with our society. Kings are often impatient with prophets. Kings trafficked in the physical while prophets offer direction in the spiritual. Are you here now? Every man a king, the poet penned. But it speaks more of freedom. It speaks of self-reliance and autonomy, all of which lead us away from God's word. 
Herein lies the picture of King Saul, independent, self-reliant, autonomous. Seven days have passed and he's grown weary of the slow gait of his meandering prophet. The wait has been too long. Samuel said that he would come, but Saul is tired of waiting. In reality, Saul is just tired of having someone over him. Here's the word. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. Look at the last line of that verse. Saul's men began to disperse, scatter. They are also impatient. Because as goes the leader, so goes the followers, whether in a country, a house, or a church. Saul's disrespect and impatience for Samuel becomes a disease among his own men. Those men are ready to leave. Their leader has infected them with the same arrogance and irreverence as he. The scene is daunting. The Philistine army covers the ridge beyond them. Their sheer numbers stand at odds with Israel's men. And the battle is about to be lost even before it begins. They need this moment with the man of God. They need a sacrifice. They must have the favor of the Lord. But they are looking inward and it causes them to shudder in fear. The Bible says that they were trembling. Saul sees his men slipping away. So he decides to take matters into his own hands. Saul will not wait any longer. He's not going to do it. So he puts on the ephod, which was the priestly garment. He should never have put on the priestly garment. It was not his to put on. And he orders the animal to be brought before him so he can make the sacrifice before the Lord. It was not his role or his place. He was out of order. His own pride leads him to bypass Samuel's instruction. And as he makes the sacrifice to the Lord, he thinks that function is just as worthy as obedience. Uh. And when the prophet Samuel finally comes to call, he sees what Saul has done and he's angry. The prophet asked, what hast thou done? Now it's personal. Samuel has pointed out the responsibility of Saul and his obvious infraction. What have you done, you, thou, all by yourself? The prophet gives a personal rebuke to the king. No one made Saul do it. No one could. He's the king after all. He can do whatever he wants to do. It was in his domain, in his power to wait or not. And he willingly chose to disobey the word of the prophet. And in, in, in so doing, he disobeyed the order of the Lord. And Samuel asked, what have you done? And in response, King Saul reveals the constant flaw of all of us, of all of humanity. Saul said, I saw my men, they were about to leave. And there's this battle about to take place. I could not afford to lose them. The time has already been set. The Philistines are assembling at Michmash. Here's the word. I'll read it again. Therefore said I, the Philistines have come down upon me now to Gilgal. I've not made supplication. I did not make a sacrifice yet. It has to be made. So I force myself to make this burnt offering. Saul acted as if he had no choice. It just overtook him. He said, I forced myself as if he had no constraint. He knew what he was doing. But he blamed it on the lateness of the prophet. In reality, Saul was saying, it's your fault, Samuel, that I made the sacrifice. You didn't show up on time, and the battle was about to ensue, and I was forced to make the sacrifice before the Lord. Saul presented his disobedience as if there was just nothing else. He just had to do it. 
And besides, it was for the good of the people. The end justified the means. And there it is. He did what he would, ladies and gentlemen. Though he blamed someone else, he did what he wanted to do. That is the root of so many things. You command you. That's the struggle of the inner person. Inner person. In fact, we got that from our parents, Adam and Eve. Eve was tempted in the garden where food was everywhere. It was like a walking, you could walk, it was like a grocery store, a place of perfect peace. You could just eat wherever you were. The Garden of Eden with no tears, there was no pain or striving. It was the premier utopia of all. And yet Satan tempted her with forbidden fruit and then Adam followed her in, in her deception. And when God came to commune with them, they were hiding because sin had revealed to them their nakedness. When they disobeyed God, they sinned. And God asked where they were and why they were hiding. It was the most harrowing conversation in human history. When God asked the question, disobedience, death, bloodshed, and banishment, the curse upon men and women, and the absence of God, all of it, the wonder of the garden, all of it now lost in the cauldron of calamity, the misfortune of mankind due to Adam and Eve's rebellion against God's spoken word. None of us can imagine that moment of time. God said, what have you done? And Adam said, it was... That woman... Come on, guys, now, let's, let's get real, you know. I was doing well. Life was good. It was that woman. You gave her. Uh-huh. He blamed Eve. She cooks dinner. <laughs> I just ate whatever she cooked. (laughs) Although Adam could have stopped the entire temptation before it ever began, he knew what was going on. Here's Paul's word to Timothy. And Adam was not deceived. Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in transgression. But Adam knew. Adam knew exactly what he was doing when he ate the fruit of that tree, but he responded as if he had no control of his own actions. He said what every dumb man says, happy wife, happy life. The spinelessness. You got that from Adam. Happy life, tilling the ground for the rest of your days, curse upon all mankind. How's that working for you? He said, Eve made him do it. It was her, that woman you gave me, which makes me wonder if Adam did not also blame God. And then Eve stood up. Of course, she wasn't going to take it on herself either. She put it, She pointed her finger. She said, the serpent beguiled me. And I ate it because he gave it to me. 
But it wasn't the devil that forced Eve to sin. And it was not Eve that forced Adam to disobey. And it wasn't Samuel's slow gait that made Saul put on the priestly robe. They did what they wanted to do. And that is the principal truth of all of our lives. We do what we want to do. Nothing more and nothing less. You command you. <laughs> Ooh, that's ugly. Think of the people of Israel. They're wandering around the wilderness. They're, 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 they're tired. They're thirsty. They need water. When the people, when they thirsted, God gave them an out. And he told Moses, there's the rock following you. Strike the rock. And the first time he struck the rock, water gushed out of that rock. It, it, it fed, it filled, it quenched the thirst of three million of them and all of their livestock. It's a wonder, the miracle. And then they were thirsty again. The second time God told Moses, speak to the rock. But Moses struck it instead of speaking to the rock. Water came forth both times, but God's word was disobeyed and the type was interrupted. Because the type was the striking of Jesus and he was only supposed to be struck once. And Moses interrupted the type of Jesus Christ. And when God asked Moses why he had done such a thing, Moses blamed the people. They're constant complaining about everything. It infuriated him. They made him so angry, he lost his temper. Whatever that means. Dr. Hughes says, when a man loses control or loses his temper, he reverts back to his seven-year-old self. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. We were just picking on the wives, but now the women get to see, oh, that's what you looked like when you were seven. <laughs> he didn't really lose control. Just gave it up. Saul did not lose control. He just did what was in his heart to do and then called Samuel the reason. You see, we are defined by the choices we make in life. They are not undetermined actions. They are deliberate. We are here deliberately. We are here willingly and intentionally on purpose because we choose to be. And in prayer, the Lord spoke to my heart this rudimentary truth. He put it in my spirit. This is what I felt impressed of the Lord. He said to me, if there will be praise, it's because people choose to do it. If there's going to be honor and reverence, it's because people will do it. If there will be service, there will be, there will, the people will serve. If there's going to be a church, it's because the people desire it. Because God will command the rocks to cry out, but he will not command your soul. Oh. He said, I stand at the door and knock. I'll stand there, but you have to let him in. Because you are in command of you. You command you. I command. We command ourselves. Ah. Solomon wrote this to his son in Proverbs chapter 1. He said, my son, if sinners entice you, don't don't give in to them. And then he said, for they hated knowledge. They didn't choose the fear of the Lord. They could have, but they rejected it. They would have none of my counsel. They despised all of my reproof. They could have chosen honor and respect. They had the choice of wise counsel, but they just rejected it. It wasn't the devil that made them turn away from it. It wasn't peer pressure or the world or vain philosophies that forced their hand. They chose to despise the council. No one made the Israelites turn away from God. They chose it for themselves. And the Bible says when Moses went up to the mountain in Sinai, God gave him the Ten Commandments etched with the finger of the Most High. And below the people, they they are weary now of waiting for Moses. And they press Aaron to make them a golden calf. And Moses comes back 
right down to the seam. They are, many of them are doing things they ought not do. It's debauchery and sin. And Moses asked Aaron, what have you done in Exodus 32? What have you done? Moses said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Aaron said, well, don't be angry with me, my Lord. You know how prone these people are to evil. Man, these are wicked people. I'm telling you they are. They just said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for Moses, this fellow, we don't know. He brought us out of Egypt. We don't even know what happened to him. So I told them, okay, well, you know, whoever has any gold, jewelry, take it off. They gave it. I just threw it in the fire and out came this calf. No one twisted his arm. Aaron did exactly what he wanted to do. Yes, the people were corrupt. Yes, they were a mere 50 days away from Egypt. Yes, it was still in their blood and their system. But it was not, but it was not the people. Aaron did it himself. And to be sure, a fully formed molten calf does not ever fall out of the fire all by itself. He did what he wanted to do because you command you. No one can make us live a holy life. No way. No one can force us into a lifetime of consecration and commitment. Guilt, even guilt, won't hold you very long. And good times will probably fade. You command you. If you're a young person here or a young adult here, let me just tell you. If you're still around, there's going to come a day that you won't have to attend church and no one's going to make you live according to the word of God or apart from the world. There will be a day when you can choose whether you come or not come because you command you. In fact, there are people right now who are thinking about bringing their families to the house of God, but they're so entangled with the world. Some have stopped worshiping because of things or things said or things done or even offenses. But if you turn away from God, I'll use the term. Maybe it's an old term. I don't, I don't read it much in modern writings of Christianity. Backslide. If you backslide, if you reject this great gospel, ignore the scripture. It won't be because someone offended you. It will be because you decided to quit. Jesus said offenses will come. They are inevitable. I stand here having been offended more times in my life than I can count. And sometimes I offend myself. Man, that was offensive. We stay or leave. We give or we withhold. We commit or we reject by virtue of our own will because we command ourselves. We can have a dynamic service right now. The 1130 service could be the most powerful service you've ever been in if you want it to be. If you want it, the Holy Ghost will overshadow this place and you can invoke the presence of the Most High God and get everything you've ever wanted from the Lord because you command you. If there's going to be praise, you command you. If there'll be a shout, if there's going to be worship, if there's going to be leaping for joy and dancing before the Lord, you command you, God does not force us to do it and the devil cannot keep us from it. I'm about to make a statement here and I hope that you get this in your mind, your heart. Personality has nothing to do with praise. Personality has nothing to do with exuberant praise. 
You spend your emotion on whatever you love and whatever you're passionate about. I've watched people sit cold, indifferent before God, but when they are passionate about something, you cannot keep them down. You cannot shut them up. They love it. They give themselves for it and to it. Hey! <laughs> oh, Jesus. And the psalmist said it like this. Here's a psalmist. Psalm 57 and 8. Awake up, my glory, awake. Psaltery and harp, I myself will wake, will awake early. Mm. That's for all the people who declare themselves not morning people. <laughs> my sincerest apologies. Because that's a cop out. You are whatever you want to be. You are what you decide to be. If you say, well, I'm just not a morning person. I'm just not an evening person. I'm just, well, you are whatever you decide to be. It's a cop-out to declare yourself indifferent or whatever. You can change anything you want to change. Another version says, I wake myself up early for worship. Oh, we were doing so good just a moment ago. And then a couple people were going like, ah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm saying yes, you're saying no. Oh, yes. You can do whatever you want to do. Adjust yourself because you command you. You are in charge of your faculties. Here's the next verse. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing thee. I will sing unto thee among the nations, which simply means there's no hiding my praise. I don't have a private faith. I don't have a private faith. It's fully public. It's unrestricted praise. It's known and it's declared. Here's verse 16. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. It's called the determination of my own will. Did you know that a pleasant disposition has nothing to do with how wounded you have been? Because huh. wounds and losses are not the reason for a bitter spirit. You decide what kind of spirit you're going to have. To say even that lust has overtaken a person or they accidentally fell into sexual sin because they just couldn't help themselves. That's a lie. You command you. If we say that we just can't help ourselves and lust consumed us like a common cold, we just caught it. That's to remove the responsibility of the keeping of ourselves. It's a cheap way out and God does not recognize it. Here's your Bible. Job 31 and 1. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. Psalm 101. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not, it's not going to get on me. It's not going to, it's not going to surround me. Psalm 25, mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Hear me when I say, no one can declare themselves innocent and say, I just couldn't help it. <laughs> oh, Romans seven twenty five. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. With my flesh, I'm in sin. But with my mind, hear me, if we pass off our lack of godly living or our lack of kindness towards others or dishonesty on the way we were raised, then we're giving ourselves a fabricated pass born from the law of sin. Because with your mind, you serve the Lord. It's intentional. It's willful. Willful. I've got to be a follower of God. And I rise to say, I will delight myself in your law and in your statutes and in your word. I'm going to delight myself in this book right here every day. It's going to get all over me. It's going to seep down into me. Let me tell you why. Because you command you. 
I, I like this one. It's a psalmist. He speaks of trouble with his physical enemies. He had enemies. And then he says, I'll just read the last portion of Psalm 109. But I give myself unto prayer. He said, yeah, I gave them friendship, and in return, they accused me falsely. I offered them a helping hand, and they struck me back with a knife. But listen to the psalmist. But I gave myself to prayer because I command myself. I could have become bitter and hateful. I could have become full of anger. I could have told everybody how horrible life was and how, how terrible my enemies were, even though I gave them kindness. The psalmist is speaking. Here's the NIV. But the NIV says, but I am a man of prayer. I decided. Psalm 119, I thought on my ways and I turned my foot unto my, unto thy testimonies. Psalm 119, I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. Psalm 119, 101, I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. That is what you can do that no one else can do. You know why? Because you command you. You decide what you will be. You decide what this house will be. You're deciding right now if this sermon or this word, this worship service, where it will go. You decide it, not me, not anybody else. I can decide for me, but you decide for you. Let me just tell you, praise does not have to begin and end with a positive report. (laughs) Oh, no. It could be that you just praise God because God is great and greatly to be praised. God is great and greatly to be praised. I decided to praise him. I decided to raise my hands. I decide to dance. I decide to shout. I decide to give God glory. You decide. (laughs) You just make the choice right now. If you want it, you can have it. If you want rejoicing, you can have it. I just decide for myself, I'm going to have a Holy Ghost time. I'm going to praise God with all of my heart. I have a word for somebody here. Stop thinking that it's the music or the rhythm or the sound or the song that's going to invoke your praise. You decide to do it all by yourself. We could be shouting and dancing on the old rugged cross it's not the rhythm although I like the rhythm I like that I can do that because it keeps me in rhythm and in beat but it's not that that makes me shout it's my own mind the determination of my own will if I clap it's because I want to clap if I jump it's because I want to jump if I shout it's because I want to shout hey if you're going to live for God it's because you want to live for God nobody's forcing you to do it this is when I get myself into trouble and I, I stopped doing this some time ago I don't it wasn't soon enough where I thought I could legislate how people were going to live I'm not legislating that I'm working on myself every day I hope that you'll join me or do something by yourself but if you want to go to heaven nobody takes anybody to heaven I don't know where people say, I'm going to take some folks to heaven. You ain't taking them to heaven. You'll be lucky if you get there yourself. Because the righteous, the Bible says the righteous will scarcely make it. Uh-oh. You better just do everything you can to, to get there. Now, now, when it comes to my children, I got a little bit different, different story because they're in my home. I'll get to that in a moment. But for myself, I'm going to serve God. I've got to, I've got to shout. I've got to clap. I've got to worship. Sometimes you ought to just stop in your day and just give God praise. 
Now, maybe your knees are not good and your hips are not good, your, your back's out. I got it. I got it. I got it. It's okay. But it's not contrived if I decide to dance before the Lord. It's not really, it's not really grooving dancing, but it's just kicking my feet up. It's not, it's just leaping before the Lord. I, this is what the Bible has done. This is what David did. In fact, when the man that was healed before the temple, the lame man, and they took him by the hand and lifted him up, and they said, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He got up and walked. The Bible, here's the next line. The Bible says he was dancing and leaping into the temple. He was shouting in the temple. Now why? Because he was healed. I don't have to wait for a healing because I know in my own mind, I'm in charge of my hands and my feet. I I can dance and shout and skip and run and clap and with my voice I can say can you hear this if there's going to be a praise if there's going to be a shout if there's going to be a clap if there's going to be a church if there's going to be service if there's going to be giving it's because we decided to do it beg your pardon just let me do what I need to do for a moment here and you can do whatever you want to do but I'm going to give God praise with my body and with my hands and with my feet because he's a great God and he's greatly to be praised I'm not waiting on the reports I'm not waiting on the answer I'm just giving God praise because I command my worship unto the Lord And what is done for me when I think of his goodness and how he set me free? I want to clap, 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 clap all night. Hey, when I think of his goodness and what is done for me when I think of his goodness. some time here.
love if you want to get out there too. You command you. Three, we had three senior ladies. They couldn't run, but they were just walking around the building. They just decided it's time for us to get out and they just walk around. Why don't you just, I need three ladies that just get up and just walk around. Just, just say, we're just going to praise God like we're, like we're marching around the walls of Jericho. We just command you, just command yourself. You can have whatever. Here's what the Bible says. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ. The question is not what I can do. The question is, will I do it? Will you? Okay, that's enough. That's enough. Come on and give the Lord the high praise. Hallelujah. is a poet and he's a writer and here's the context to escape Saul the king who wants to kill him he's feigned madness and he's given himself over to the enemy Abimelech and Abimelech now removes him and and now David realizes that God has saved him both from the reach of King Saul and from the hand of Abimelech. And so David starts to talk to himself. This is what some of us need to do. We need to talk to ourselves. He made a self-declaration. And he said to self, because this is something God cannot make us do. He said in Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise See, that's a willful, deliberate act of someone who commands themselves. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Watch this. God will not do this. He's not going to force you to praise him. Only at the very end, 
When the Bible says every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, that means that there will be a forced declaration of the deity of Jesus Christ, that he is both Lord and God. But before you get to that point, he's not going to make you do this because you're a free moral agent. You can do whatever you want to do. You can dance, jump, you can shout, you can, you can, you can cry, whatever, you, whatever your emotion, whatever you can, whatever you'd like to do. You can love, you can hate. You're in command of you. But this is what David said. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. Everybody's going to find out. <laughs> and they're going to be glad. I command myself to praise and I command my soul to make her boast in the Lord. I'm going to make everybody know I'm boasting in God because I command myself. So I rise to say to somebody, you command yourself. If you want to be a pillar in this house, you can be a pillar. If you want to be the strength of this house, you can be the strength of this house. If you want to be consistent and faithful and consecrated, you command you. If we would like to have the most powerful, awesome revival before the Lord comes back, we command ourselves. If we want to have unity, if we want to have unity and dedication, we command ourselves. If we want to scorn our brother in the church and act like everything's okay when we know it's not okay and just go on and pretend, you command you. That's right. You want to have love? We can have love. Want to look out for one another? We ought to be looking out for one another. You're going to hear me talk about it. We command ourselves. Now, I can't fix everybody else. I've got four children and a beautiful wife. Praise God. I have four children that still live in my home. And as long as they're under my home, I've got some constraint over them. <laughs> some. I won't declare full control, but just some. And I've decided a long time ago, this is what's going to happen in my home. I can't speak for your home. So I'll just use the words of Joshua who challenged the entire congregation of Israel even though he knew they did not believe and not always obey Moses. He said, if it seemed evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day who you're going to serve. You can serve the gods before the flood. Go back over. You're not going to walk through on dry ground, but you can tread the water maybe. Or the gods where you're living right now. You can choose whatever you want to choose. But this is what Joshua said. As for me... And my house, I'm going to command myself. I'm commanding my home. We're going to have a godly home. We're going to have a, a home that worships. We're going to have a home that's set apart. I'm commanding me. Every mother and father, every husband and wife, every grandfather, every grandmother, you ought to set the boundaries up and say, I am not in control of this world. I'm not in control of the political scene. I'm not in control of the public school scene. But I am in control of my own mouth. And I am in control of my own body. I'm going to give my body and my life as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. I command my feet to dance. I command my hand to clap. I command myself to leap. I command myself to sing.